Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Welcome to another episode of the Forgotten My Dice podcast. I'm your very horse host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the freeloader crashing on my, well, not my couch, but in one of the rooms in the house, <laughs> to my home ownership, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Uh, apparently better than you, but only just. Well, it's allergy season here in Texas, so, you know, one of the greatest things about fall is that several different varieties of, of juniper trees start to bloom and apparently i am not just allergic to all of them but i am deathly allergic to all of them <laughs> but on the plus side somebody today told me that i sounded a, a bit like a, a, a gangster villain so i'm gonna go, i'm gonna go with that nice nice yeah it feels good this is what i do now i on the other hand uh, caught the the plane crud actually the whole family did although Ooh, travel crud's the worst yeah, yeah, they caught it a couple days ago, like right after we got back, but mine flared up yesterday. It already kind of peaked. It's kind of tapering off right now, but yeah, it's still it's still not fun. If the, the podcast suddenly cuts out, it's probably because we both lost our voice. <laughs> <laughs> so this might end up being a slightly shorter than normal episode, because uh, I know mine doesn't have a ton of life left in it. But I'm going to blow out the vocal cords for you folks, so let's do this thing. You, you sound so pathetic. I love it. I know. It's great. As always, we want to start our episode thanking our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are awesome. You're so awesome, I'm going to give you the good half of my voice before I blow it out on the rest of the podcast. Aww. Thank you so much for everything that you do. You guys help us keep the lights on. Every little bit helps. It helps to, to keep the servers flowing and the broken voices going. And today begins our Forgot My Dice Spoopy Halloween Spectacular. Woo! Yeah. I think it's safe to say that both you and I are big fans of Halloween. A little bit, a little bit. And so we're going to spend the month of October talking about all kinds of fun ways to incorporate our hobby into Halloween. That really hurt to say. That just didn't want to come out. Couldn't form the H. Which is to say, we're going to deep dive spooky games. Indeed, indeed. Well, we're going to get started the same way we always do with our off-the-shelf segment. So, Robert... We actually had a chance to have some things off the shelf together, but let's get all the other crap out of the way first. All right. Tell me. Tell me. I see some... Well, I know what video game you've been dedicating your life to. How many hours was it? Okay, so I completed Dragon Quest Eleven, and it merely took me 122 hours to complete. Wow. Approximately five days, eight hours, if I did my math right. And what did you think of the game, I guess, is the first question. Back when the Dragon Quest games came out, they were kind of silly they were kind of lighthearted. the story was just a story you know it didn't have any deeper meaning you know it was just like good guys fight bad guys hurrah and back in the day like entertainment in general was just you know like that i, I don't know if you've gone back and watched old episodes of like say murder she wrote or macgyver or anything but there, there aren't oh, yeah. a lot of oh yeah but there aren't a lot of like hidden morals in those stories they're not really trying to say anything they're just telling a fun little you know it's like oh come here hang out have some fun for a little while and we, we are in this like golden age of television right now you know where we can have these really deep shows but oddly enough because shows have a lot more gravitas to them now 
playing a throwback game with a, just a story about good versus evil and really nothing else in between and it being kind of just silly and goofy and light and kind of the perfect game to just sort of sit around and play. Uh, like most of the time I play the Dragon Quest games uh, in bed after I take a shower. <laughs> you know, I play them for an hour or two just while I'm kind of chilling and relaxing. And, and uh, it's, it's the perfect game for that. You know, it's, it's not deep. There's not a lot, a lot of hidden meaning in that game, but it's just, it's just a good time. It's like hanging out with a buddy. So that, that's what I would say. It was 122 hours of hanging out with an old friend and just having fun. Oh, that's the good stuff right there. It is. It is the good stuff. There's and something to be said, especially in a video game, kind of slipping back into a, a universe or a world or a storytelling methodology that, that kind of feels so nice and comfortable like that. Yeah. I get that a lot when I play the, uh, the older Genesis games and I show my kids what, what life used to be like. <laughs> Let me tell you, you want to see a look of horror on a kid's face, let them play Madden you know the, the modern Madden games for a while, and then put them onto uh, Tecmo Football and watch them un- not understand what's happening. <laughs> that sounds about right. That sounds about right. So I, yeah, I'd, I'd highly recommend Dragon Quest Eleven. It it's not anything new. It, it's it's a very comfortable meal, but it's it's a good, long, fun, comfortable meal. I, I was, you know, just doing dungeons and getting loot and just sort of the old art, old school RPG and. You know, there were some unintentionally hilarious lines, and and the the game's kind of goofy, and then it gets real dark for a while, and then it gets kind of goofy again, and yeah. And the, it, Japanese games in general are like that. They're kind of light and goofy, and then all of a sudden they're just like, and here, have something really heavy right now. And it's like, oh my god. Ah. <laughs> yeah, the Final Fantasy games do that a lot. Yeah, yeah. The Dragon Quest games, it's worse than the Dragon Quest games because they're so stupid, you know? they look the, the art style is so cartoonish, and it's just so silly. And then all of a sudden it just hits you. Like, like the first time it happened in the game is uh, uh, the first time you get introduced to mermaids in the setting. The, the mermaid storyline is just like all of a sudden it's just like, oh, geez. Ah, what the heck? Yeah, you were telling me about that when, uh, when you were hitting it. It, it sounds interesting. I'd, I'd like to play it, but God, I'm so far behind on RPGs right now. Well, it's a good one to pick up just because, like I said, it's, it's one of those games you can just pick up for... I mean, you do have to pick it up for about an hour to, to do anything with it, but yeah. yeah. Well, the problem is that it's just RPGs are a serious time commitment, and unfortunately, my, my free time lately has just been quite hindered. You know, all the kids, all the, the extra stuff that goes along with them. I mean, this weekend's a perfect example. I spent uh, more than 12 hours shuttling children to and from sporting events. We'll see, but there you go. So you should play one of the Dragon Quest games on your iPad because that one you literally can put down. As long as you don't close the program, know, it'll just stay. I expect you to pay attention and be able to speak to them about the game. It's kind of cranky. While they're playing the game, yo. you just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah fight the monsters, fight the monsters, fight the monsters. <laughs> All right. So that's Dragon's Quest. Any other video games? Oh, we, you and I play the video game together. What am I saying? Yeah, I know, right? In case you missed it last time, uh, a friend of mine had a wedding, so we came back out to Austin, and uh, I, I crashed at Jonathan's pad, hence our little joke at the beginning, if, if that wasn't painfully obvious. And now I'm explaining the joke, which we all know makes it way more funny. Oh, yeah. Like, that, there's nothing like explaining a joke to, to really bring out the humor in it. It's like, it's like when you make a sauce, you know? You burn away all of that, that water and, and extra stuff, and you just get right at the, the good stuff. That, that's what explaining a joke is, obviously. I don't know if you're cooking so much as stabbing something to death, but I love you anyway. Keep going. <laughs> so uh, I talked a lot about Pokemon Go, and, and you don't get it. And I sent you one day just this like manual of instructions, which you obviously didn't read. You jerk. It was a little overwhelming. I mean, to be fair, I was working when you sent it to me. 
it was the first day I was there, right? Uh, it was uh, not 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 the first, or was it Saturday? It was Saturday. It, it, it was, was Saturday. the first full day you were there. Yeah, yeah, the Saturday before the not, wedding. Not your travel day. Yeah, the afternoon before the wedding. We just went out because I had to get a belt because I forgot to pack a belt or wear a belt. Because, you know, I was going to the airport. I'm like, oh, I'll just not wear a belt. My pants fit. And I forgot to throw one in my briefcase or briefcase, my suitcase. And so, yeah, I had to go get a belt for it for the wedding. I went out and I showed you the Pokemon ropes. And, and, and now you've started sending me gifts and stuff. And I'm like, oh, oh, Jonathan gets it now. <laughs> I do indeed. I do indeed. So what's your opinion of the game now that you kind of know how it is? I, I, I've said my piece about it. What do you think? I mean, there's no easy way to put it, right? I mean, it's a stupid game, but it, is, it, it taps into something. I don't know that I can quantify what it taps into, but it's obviously tapping into something because I keep opening it up and playing it for a few minutes every day. I was telling your wife, you know, it's really, it's, it's really a good thing because I remember with uh, Miles, actually, Miles really liked going for walks. Like, that would make him calm down and fall asleep when he was a real little baby. So I used to just, you know, when he was having problems sleeping, I'd just strap him to my chest and go out and take a walk. And Pokemon Go would be the perfect thing to do with that because, you know, it, it gives you an objective. So, you know, you're not just walking for the sake of walking, you know. It's like, oh, I'm, yep. I'm accomplishing something while I'm doing this thing that I need to do. And you've got dogs and you're, oh, I, sh- should we announce that other thing? Because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, we that was supposed to go into announcements. So speaking of babies, Jonathan, what are you going to have come February-ish? I'm going to have a new little baby as well. So my wife and I are bringing number five in. So we're a blended family. I brought in two, she brought in two. And so this will be their first and the only one that's going to be a little piece of both of us. And it's going to kind of just tie everybody together into a nice little knot. Not that, you know, honestly, hanging out with your kids all week, not that they needed to be tied into a knot. <laughs> they, they've got all the, the hatred and love of siblings that I've ever seen all summed up right there. But it, it'll, oh, be, yeah. it'll be a nice little addition. I'm just saying you're, you're raising your kids right because they, they, they act like kids with each other. So you're already doing something good. Well, we certainly try. I mean, that's all, that's all any parent can ever do, right? So everybody, everybody, wish, wish Jonathan a congratulations. And come February, we'll, we'll, we'll see how things go in the podcast. <laughs> I got some ideas I'm cooking on in case Jonathan has to step down for a couple of weeks like I did when we had the twins. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to play it by ear, but uh, certainly not my first rodeo either. I mean, this will be the fourth baby I've had in my life. So it's, I'm feeling pretty confident about it. Yeah, yeah, and it's just the one. You had a bit of a twin scare, but it's just the one. I breed them big, but I breed them sleepers. There you go. There you go. So, you're having a girl. And and we had to miss the party because we we had to go to the rehearsal dinner, which was sad. That's okay. We were worried about you because I'd forgotten about the rehearsal dinner. That's why I kept texting you, are you okay? (laughs) Just smash your hand against the keyboard if you need help. (laughs) Anyway, Pokemon Go, perfect game. If If your kid, you know, likes being strapped to your chest to sleep... Just just go spin the pokey stops. There, there's there a bunch. There's two gyms. There's like four gyms and a bunch of stops right near your house, you lucky. Yeah, no, there's a, a ton of stuff. There's a ton of stuff. And the strip mall on the other side of the park is kind of nice, too. It's got six different stops in it. You've, you've been playing any games, Jonathan? I have. I have. So we're kind of getting into the, the, the fall here. So things are starting to open up in the video game front. I did sit down with you, and uh, you showed me Wrecking Ball on Overwatch. And yeah. I must say, I must say, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant, neat character. <laughs> when you showed me how to anchor, and I shoved that guy out out the door and off the balcony, I yeah. just about lost it. That was that was brilliant. <laughs> now you know why I started playing that game obsessively again. I, I have just, I have put in since that character came out. I was just looking at it. I I put in sixteen hours of wrecking ball time, and it's just the and, and it's not like that was all in one go. I, I play like two or three games a day generally. Well, I'm I'm certainly still saving myself for Battlefield Five. That's where I'm going to put the, the majority of my 
free time when it comes out in November. But in the meantime, I have been playing Overwatch and I've been having a great time with it. The Fortnite Season 6 has started and that's got some new fun challenges and some new fun stuff. One of the neat things about Fortnite is the way they're just constantly evolving that environment. Just makes it's interesting because it's only the one map, but it always feels fresh, which is kind of neat. Yeah, they usually yeah they just change little bits of it every so often. It's it's really nice. If if Overwatch needs to learn a lesson, it's that they're gonna step up a little bit when Halloween starts. They've Halloweened out uh, like two or three maps. That that'll bring me back in. That'll bring me back in because like the last time I got heavy into Overwatch was when the Halloween skins were out because I like them. Yeah, yeah, they're they're gonna add in six more skins, and they they already did it with Hollywood, where you know Hollywood becomes nighttime, and it's like because it's on a Hollywood studio, so it's like they're doing their Halloween horror night there, and you're playing through it. Um, but they're doing it to two more maps. They're doing it to uh, the castle because of Jungenstein's Revenge. They've done it to the whole castle, so it's night and creepy and and all that. And there's another map I think they're doing it to, so that's kind of cool. So yeah, um, Fortnite's going Halloweeny as well. Um, it's got uh, like the 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 big prize for the season if you get all the the tiers is a uh, werewolf and so it's it's one character that has actually four different forms and it slowly evolves from uh human to the different wolf forms (laughs) nice there's been a lot of costume characters and stuff like that little spooky stuff uh one of the new gliders you can get is just a bat (laughs) that you ride into battle which is awesome nice and then recently forza horizon 4 released and wow jaw on the floor i didn't know a game could look this good this game is super fun as well like i I don't even know where to begin with it it's just amazing oh wow that's a bold statement you know i've always liked the forza horizon games they're they're a real nice blend of arcadey with uh sim i posted like fmd classic 21 or 22 and you're talking about it back then with the hot wheels expansion oh yeah with forza 3 hot wheels expansion it's so good yeah but for um horizon 4 they've changed it up and it takes place in the british isles and, like, it has the whole city of Edinburgh in it and stuff like that. And, you know, having spent time in Ireland driving around in a rental car, I can I can say that's exactly what it feels like. Just big, windy roads and big open vistas and beautiful views and then tight, tight corridors within the cities. And not only is it super fun from that perspective, but it's got all the challenges and all the great stuff that makes the, the Horizon uh, series of games so good. And Horizon 4 is just jaw-dropping. It looks so beautiful. And the entire map goes through four seasons as you play. Oh, that's cool. So there's cool. winter, there's spring, there's autumn and fall, or um, autumn and uh, summer, and it's just amazing how they redress that map every time. So is it uh, during the map it changes, or just is it a random season? You know, I don't know. I'm not that far into the game, so I can't tell you yet. I will, I will report back. Sounds good. Sounds it's good. It's on early access for those of us that pre-ordered it, and I think the official release date's in a day or two. I'm nodding. Which is good radio. Yeah, great radio. Great radio. You keep up with those uh, <laughs> body movements. They really help. They help to enunciate the point. I'll send you a GIF. That's good radio, too. There you go. All right. Well, moving right along, I think that brings us to uh, movies and TV. Anything on your end? Yeah. Finally, we borrowed Brave from the library, and I'd never seen it before. So that was good. You know, fun. oddly enough, I haven't seen that one either. It's good. I, and I I own it. The kids watch it all the time. I just haven't had a chance to sit down and watch it. I don't know what else to say. It's not it's not the best Pixar movie because it it doesn't kick you in the feels at any point. It's good. It was a fun adventure. Well, I, I guess it kicks you in the feels. It'd be, it's not. I don't know. I, I guess my bar is set it like up in Toy Story three right now. So I I can't. If it man, doesn't hit that, up. yeah. Oh man, <laughs> first five minutes of up is better than most dramas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, we watched that. As you learned when we were over, my boys really like Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. 
Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. So I, I don't know if you've told if I've told you this, but as uh, me and the wife and our roommate have been watching it, you know, off and on, we've kind of like constructed our own elaborate like headcanon backstory about the place, and we've decided that the land of make believe is actually secretly ruled by Trolley, who's an evil AI. I like it. And typically when he's on screen, we, we talk as him and he's got an evil robot voice <laughs> and he tells the animals to work hard and reproduce. It's a good time. I like it. I yeah. like it. You, you, that, does, the, uh, does the advertisement on the side of Trolley actually say obey? <laughs> if you put the sunglasses <laughs> on it, do. Man, let me tell you. Oh, that's good stuff right there. I just actually, I just, not too long ago, I rewatched They Live and man, that movie holds up. It's so good. Sadly holds up. Hmm. 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 Anyway, hmm. I need to watch that movie again. Hey, I while. just want you to know that if you're getting mad and you want to roar, I just want you to count to four. Take a deep breath and count to four. Yeah, that's right, baby. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little Daniel Tiger right here. Right here. Do I have to like work in every every little ditty they do ever? God, please don't. Please don't. This is me begging. This is me begging. <laughs> I, I instantly regret this course of action. I've been watching uh, this guy called Mass Bandit who plays a uh, uh, Planet Coaster, and because I watch, I can't play that game, so I watch other people play it. And it was funny during one of his one of his gameplay videos, he made no less than three Daniel Tiger references during it that I completely caught. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, you're because he mentioned he had a, he had a little kid, and I'm like, oh, your little kid's that age. Oh, we have something in common. Oh, there you go. There you go. All right, I'm gonna have to start remembering those little ditties now. I can't think of one for the life of me. I just kind of tune it out. But now, now, good. To torture I'm glad. You. Let's keep let's keep that rolling. Right, moving right along. What's next on our list here? Uh, any TV for you? Oh yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I sat down and watched The Rocketeer with the kids. Nice. It holds up, man. That movie's great. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I was, I was afraid. I was afraid it was going to be like so many movies from my youth that I go back and I watch them and I'm like, oh man, what was I thinking? Yeah, looking at you. <laughs> and I gotta say, man, this one, we watched it, and the whole time I was like, "Wow, I'm really impressed that this holds up. The special effects hold up. Everything about it holds up." And you know who doesn't like punching a Nazi in the face? You know why it holds up, right? Isn't Timothy Dalton the big bad in that? Yes, it's so good too. He's so so deliciously evilly good. I guarantee you, he is the reason that movie holds up because I don't know what it is about Timothy Dalton. He's slimy what he wants to be. You can hand that man any script. He could read he could read your grocery list and he would just melodramatically chew the scenery in a, in a, such a captivating way. That man is He just brilliant. kind of holds his words a little too long. It's almost like a snake, you know, it's like a little it, like it's hissing at you. Yeah, he just draws you in. He's he's great. Yeah, he's great, man. He was fantastic. Actually, the whole cast was great. I don't care what people say. I liked his Bond movies. I like both of them. Oh, man, they were great. They yeah. were, I mean, you have to remember, after the Roger Moore stuff, those were dark. Yeah, they were. I mean, Rod, look, 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 we all we all have our Bond, right? Like, Roger Moore will always be our, my Bond, and that's because he was the Bond of my youth. You know, I'm not saying he was the best Bond, but I'm saying that he was he was my Bond. Right, right, right. But the Dalton movies, the Dalton movies were intense. They, he was so dark. You know what? It's not it's not the first one he did, because the first one he did was actually written for Roger Moore. So it's a little bit more, you know, like chuckle, chuckle, chuckle. Ha ha ha. No, but the one with the, the, the drug kingpins and stuff, and he, he starts off getting married again. License to kill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got a license to kill. You got a license to kill. Yeah, I'm not hitting that note right now. Yeah. Ugh. 
my 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 bond was uh, Pierce Brosnan because I, I I had seen all the Bond movies up to that, but that was the first one I saw in the theater, and that's the one I I got most attached to. Oh man, my dad took me to see the uh, Dalton movies in the theater. You're just a hair older than me, so I could buy that. Still though, still always forever till the end of time, my favorite Bond villain will always always be Christopher Walken. <laughs> As Hugo Drax. No. Yes, it's so yes. bad, but it's so good. <laughs> wow, I didn't realize how much of a a, a break there was between the last uh, Timothy Dalton movie and then the first Pierce Brosnan movie. It was it was a long time. Well, the series was in trouble. The series was in big trouble. Yeah, yeah, it came out in '89. Broccoli Productions was, I, as I recall, I think they might have even gone in, into a form of bankruptcy, and then MGM bought the rights. Or no, MGM got bought by United Artists. That's what it was. United Artists bought MGM back in the day. They they gobbled up the MGM catalog, and that's how they got the Bond stuff. And then all that stuff got re- all the the Pierce Brosnan movies started getting released. And then after that, I believe MGM UA went under, and then Sony bought the rights, and that's when we started getting the the Craig movies. Yeah, but yeah, License to Kill came out in '89. I was I was ten. Yeah, so I would have been I would have been twelve, so I was I was kind of right right on the cusp there because that's that's about the time my dad started taking me to see. Well, I guess not because I mean, what year was RoboCop? I got Wikipedia open. I can tell you, RoboCop came out in July seventeenth, nineteen eighty seven. Okay, because I he took me to see RoboCop in the theaters. It sounds weird now. Oh, it sounds totally weird now. But it was the eighties. It was okay. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember there were toys? RoboCop is a rated R oh, movie, and there were Ro- toys about it. <laughs> RoboCop is j- isn't just a rated R movie; it's a hard R. Like yeah. it earns that stuff. Yeah, yeah, it do it earns it hard? But it was totally marketed to kids. But it was the eighties; that was okay. Yeah, man, the eighties were a weird time. <laughs> they really were. I mean, in re- in retrospect, looking back, you can kind of understand the sixties. You can definitely understand the seventies. But when you get to the eighties, you just kind of like scratching your head, and go, "What happened?" I mean, holy crap! When they kill, when they kill Murphy and RoboCop, Ugh. like going back as an adult, you're just like, "Wow!" My dad took me to see this in the theaters when I was nine. <laughs> How am I not hacking people up in a corner? Yeah, Terminator Three had toys. I remember that too. Like, yeah, man. Oh yeah, T two, T two had lots of toys. Yeah, yeah. Good times. Good times. It was a different time. It was a totally different time. It's so funny because I'm constantly like checking myself because I'm thinking to myself because you know my oldest now he's eleven and a half. He'll be he'll he's creeping up on twelve off awfully quick, and I'm starting to kind of loosen the things that I'll watch with him. It's always this weird thing because I think to myself, no, I can't I can't watch I can't watch Die Hard with him yet. And then I think back and I'm like, man, my dad took me to see Die Hard in the theaters when I was nine or ten. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Am I doing this parenting thing right or wrong? I'm so confused right now. I I know. I know. My role model says it's cool, but society says it's not. I don't know what to do. Yeah, I don't. Uh, you, uh. I actually feel like if I was to show my kid Die Hard or RoboCop or something, I feel like my dad would pop out of the woodwork and, and actually he would come out and say, "What? You, why are you letting him watch that? I learned it from watching you, Dad. I learned it from watching you. Yeah. <laughs> so welcome to our spoopy Halloween episode. We will scare you with our bad parenting. <laughs> well, to be fair, I have not yet watched showing him Die Hard, which is my most favorite Christmas movie. And um, I've not yet shown him um, 
I haven't shown him anything. He hasn't seen Robocop. He hasn't seen Die Hard. He hasn't even seen the first Terminator, which, I mean, to be fair, the first Terminator is pretty friggin' mild by today's standards. Eh, kinda, kinda. And you know what throws me off, man? Like, I'll watch, I'll watch TV and shows like Bones and stuff, and it's, oh my god, they're, yeah, they're way more gory than anything I saw as a kid. There's as much gore in certain episodes of Bones as there was in all of RoboCop. It's just missing the boobs and the f words. Or like uh, once a season on Supernatural when they do a really gross witch episode. Yeah. Do you remember the witch episodes of Supernatural where they just, the witches do weird, gross curses on people? Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, again, I'm constantly torn by it. I, I've been erring on the side of caution, but he's he's getting to that age where I know he's starting to get exposed to this stuff at school. How the hell did we get here from Daniel Tiger's neighborhood? Ah, who knows, man? This is, this is the ride. We're on the ride, all right? Just let it go. Let it go. <laughs> oh, no, we were talking about the rocket. How did we get? Oh, it's Timothy Dalton. Yeah, Timothy Dalton. Yeah, it, it's Timothy Dalton's fault. It's always Timothy Dalton's fault. I blame Timothy Dalton. Damn you, Timothy Dalton. That reminds me, I need to finish up uh, uh, Penny Dreadful. I never finished the third. Oh, my but. God, that show is so good. But let me tell you. The second season, like the first season is dark and somehow they turned it up on the second season. They're like, no, not dark enough. Let's let's send you into the, the you know, the precipice of a depression. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we were like mainlining that and we just had to stop at some point. We're like, oh, man, it's too dark. Season too dark. two. Like I had to watch it in small chunks. I couldn't mainline it like that because it, it's intense. Yeah. Anyway. OK. 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 Focus. Focus. Oh, bring it back. Timothy Start Dalton. Trying. You Star did Trek. it again. Speaking of people who haven't been in Star Trek, Timothy Dalton, tell me about Star Trek. <laughs> um, I've continued my watching. I'm now halfway through season seven on Next Generation and and, and partway through season two on uh, Deep Space Nine. Nice. So things I've learned since last we spoke. Season six and seven of Next Generation are perfect, which is not to say they don't have their, their weak episodes, but those those episodes are so well written and so well acted. I mean, it just shows how when when you leave a show be for a little while and you let those characters grow and you let those actors get comfortable in those roles, what can come of it? it they're just phenomenal. You know, you know what the problem with season six and especially season seven of Star Trek is? They literally just did not give a crap at that point. They were just like, we will try anything. And sometimes it works. And I can't think of a specific episode, but I think the uh, the parallel universe episode, which they used to justify the rebooted Star Trek movies, I think uh, I think that's season six and seven of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, I haven't gotten to it yet, so I'm pretty sure it's season seven. But but then also uh, Doctor Crusher being seduced by a ghost on her uh, Scottish uh, colony planet that her grandma lived at. I haven't gotten that one yet either. That's this season as well. I remember that one. That was that was not a good one. No. Like I said, it's not without its stinkers, but there there's some pretty pretty intense heavy episodes. Well, it's just they weren't afraid to try something at that point. They're like they're like this is this is it. Like it, is somebody have something that could be interesting? Just fudge it. Let's just do it. Let's try it. And and they did. And it's like I want to make a romance movie about a Scottish ghost in Star Trek. And they're like, sure, why not? Let's let's give it a go. I mean, we cut Data's head off at the. Season you know, finale. somebody in that room was like, "Well, we made Manimal ten years ago. Why the hell not?" Right, right, right done like that's that's a mic drop right there. <laughs> there there's there's one episode in particular that stood out to me and this is especially important because season one of deep space nine is not particularly strong no no uh uh cisco has to shave his head and grow the beard once that happens boom 
Yeah, man, once he gets in touch with the Spencer for Hire character, it's on. Yeah, yeah. He's got to get in touch with, what was he, Hawk. Hawk was his name. Yeah. You remember Spencer for Hire? Oh, man, my parents used to watch that, like, every week when I was growing up, so I would always be watching Spencer for Hire. And then when Deep Space Nine came on, I got really excited. You know, I was uh, I was giving you affirmations and, and positive stuff about Spencer for Hire just to kind of feel included, but I never watched that show. Oh, you, it, it holds up, man. Go back and watch it. It's not bad. It's a good TV drama from the from the 80s. All right. And you can see Cisco is not a parent. It's great. So, um, but yeah, one, one episode in particular really stood out to me in Deep Space Nine, and it, it shows just how good a show can be, and that was Duet, which is, I think, the 19th episode in the first season. That's where uh, the Cardassian is arrested that they think is part of war crimes. And the, the entirety of the episode is basically Kira and this Cardassian having this back and forth and this mind game. And it's, it's intense as all get out. Go back and watch it. Uh, it's got a supporting cast in it. Hold on, let me get this guy's name because he's so good in it. And he's good in everything he's done. He's a character actor, shows up all the time. That's funny. Remember that uh, Star Trek episode I was telling you about with the fold-out piano and all that? Oh, I remember that one! I just watched that one not too long ago. Yeah, that's also a duet. Oh, shut up, really? Yeah, yeah, that's the title of that episode, too. Because I, I clicked uh, on it, and it's like, for the Deep Space Nine episode of the same name, click here. And I'm like, oh, ha, that's funny. So the, the Cardassian is played by Harris Eulin, who's one of those character actors that if I tell you his name, you're going to be like, who? And then when you go look at his picture, you're like, oh, he's in everything. <laughs> he's the judge in Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, okay, that's all you need to say, right? Like, he's in everything. This might be his best performance ever. He is so good in it. And by the end of the episode, I mean, you're just, compl- you don't know which end is up. And that's that's what I like about it. it. It's just, it's fine TV. It's just good, fine TV. God, that show was dark for Star Trek. Until Discovery happened, but... Uh, Positive. All right. Quest All right. for positivity. Quest for positivity. Quest for positivity. Sorry, now I'm looking up what Harris Eulen has done. Everything. He's oh. done everything. That's right. He's that, that slimy guy in Patriot Games. Yeah, Cutter. Cutter. Cutter's his name. Oh, yeah, he was in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I remember that. <laughs> That's, oh, man, he's been in everything. I told you. He's got like 130 credits or something on, on uh, IMDb, if I remember correctly. I went and looked him up afterwards. Yeah, geez, it just goes on and on. And, and he ends up playing a lot of a lot of villains. And that's what I like about this Star Trek episode is because you're never 100% sure if you're supposed to like him or hate him. Well, the best villains think they're the hero. Go back and watch just this one. Let's talk about it next episode. I want. To, I really want to get your thoughts. Uh, all right, everybody. It's 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 Star Trek uh, Deep Space Nine book club. <laughs> next <laughs> episode forty nine. Maybe we'll do it for the patrons. There you go. All right. So moving right along. Yeah, I'm going to keep watching my Star Trek. So I've done a ton of reading, and I, I need to I need to talk about all of it a little bit. Last episode, I mentioned I was trying to get on the Mutant City Blues playtest for the second edition. I did. And that's literally all I can say about it, because I, I signed an NDA. I can say that I'm in it. <laughs> I, I can say that I got accepted, and I read it. Nice. No comment until the book comes out, because I can't. Well, then, it, it, we will wait with bated breath. That's right. That's right. Uh, so, I also read Tales from the Loop, but not the one you're thinking of. I My library got the art book, and so I'm I borrowed so the I'm so yeah. jealous. I'm so jealous. 
Yeah, it, it's it's really weird. Um, so okay, so the art book is written in character. So uh, Simon Skills, the artist name, uh, he basically is like, I'm drawing these pictures of my remembered youth in the '80s in this weird parallel universe. A lot of the stuff that, like the storylines and stuff that are in the book, uh, in the adventures that are in the book, he kind of like talks about. So, you know, the whole th- there's the thing about a portal with dinosaurs and weird robots and all that. And they do kind of kind of allude to that. But but Simon was not Simon's like a, a side character in the school or something. You know, he, he saw a lot of that. The funny part is uh, they mention these things that are called echo spheres, which are these like you see them in the art a lot. There's just these balls with hatches that are kind of sitting around. One of them randomly that this one kid knows about opens up into the loop in uh, Boulder City. Like that that's part of the fluff is that there's another loop in Boulder City that totally exists in that world. That's covered in the uh, RPG book. Right, right, right. But I thought they made that up for the RPG book, but no, no, it's in this book about how there he can just hop into this echo chamber or echo sphere and then he closes the lid and he opens up the lid again and he's friggin' out in the middle of the desert in America. <laughs> and yeah, it's just kind of like weird stuff like that. And uh the book it kind of takes place in the mid to late 80s up to the early 90s because the last image in the book actually is dated uh, something that happened in 94 right before the loop was shut down so it, it but it's weird there's this kind of like narrative thread through it of him remembering hijinks he got up to in his youth and and just all of this stuff and yeah it's interesting and i'm, I'm really annoyed because uh things from the flood is the art book they don't have but they got the next one the electric state so eh, i don't know i guess i'll be reading that one next or i'll put myself on the wait list because i don't think it's quite out yet but so I read that, and that was quite interesting. Highly recommend. Nice, nice, nice. And then the last thing I've been reading is uh, I was on the Twitter, and James D'Amato of the uh, One Shot Podcast fame mentioned that he had a book that was coming out, and he was like, does anybody with a podcast or a blog want to read an advanced copy to talk about it on your podcast and or blog? And I'm like, I have a podcast and or a blog. Sure. So I messaged him, and... And I got it, and it's called the Ultimate RPG Character Backstory Guide, and it is it is a odd book, and I like it, but I like it because it's kind of deliciously old school in this really weird way. Because the whole book is like, I don't want to say uh, the whole book is like a, a, it's like a self help book for you know like making up a character backstory, but there's a lot of random tables that you can like roll on for stuff. And I, I, there's just some part of me that that old grognardy gamer part of me that's just like uh, random tables about you know role playing stuff. Yeah, I love that. So I've I've been having fun. Uh, by far the highlight of the book is one of the first things I read, which is they have a, a catchphrase generator, <laughs> and it's a freaking amazing. And and there's just so much random goofy stuff you can do it. So yeah, I, right, I don't how, know how do we generate a catchphrase. I think, I think the beard needs a catchphrase. Oh, fudge. All right, hold on. Let me go get my, my book. All right, all right, sir. Do you have dice? Uh, I can get some. Hold on. Go get some dice. Just one set? Uh, you might need a D4 as well. It depends on how things go. Well, I've got a polyhedral set. Okay, cool. Just pull out the D6 and D4. That's pretty much all you'll need. Okay, hold on. All right, I got D6 and D4. All right. Sir, roll a D6. Four. Roll me a d6. Another one? Mm-hmm. Two. And again. Six. All right. Uh, roll me the d4. Okay. One. And roll me one more d6. Four. 
Okay, so your catchphrase or idiom or whatever, something that people in your village say is, you might lose a raging peasant dancing alone. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, my wife rolled one up earlier and she got, yeah, you won't please a wizard for Hell's Black Gates. (laughs) (laughs) are all pretty legitimate too this is the kind of crap you hear out in the country i know right <laughs> it, like i said uh, a, ver- a very good a very strong start to that book i i've just barely cracked it but yeah all right, well, it's worth it alone just for that that's amazing <laughs> Hold on, i want to do one more one more one more oh god okay i got my d6 i'm ready all right uh roll me up a d6 one i see my luck with dice is holding strong d6 one <laughs> Uh, D6 again. One. What the heck, man? God, I'm going to have to burn this particular set. I think this set is ruined. Uh, roll a D4. Okay, hold on. I swear to God, if this one comes up as a one, I'm throwing these dice away. (laughs) Four. Groovy. Uh, roll a D6. Four. Uh, your catchphrase is, uh, can't find a wizard without an aging castle. It's actually kind of true. <laughs> I love it, man. What's this book called again? Uh, it's called... Here, let me get the exact title because I have it open. I think I wrote it down correctly, but, you know, I'm sick. I don't trust myself right now. The Ultimate RPG Character Backstory Guide by James D'Amato. Uh, out, I don't know when. Soon. I got the I got the preview. I could send you a preview copy, man, because I got send it. it to me. For- okay. Send it to me. I totally want to read that. Okay, I got it as Forgot My Dice. You were part of Forgot My Dice. And we are talking about indeed. it on our... We have fulfilled our contractual obligation for getting the book early. We are talking about it on our podcast or blog. That is amazing. <laughs> what, what, it's worth it just for that, because that's such a great little personal touch to throw onto your character. What That's, that's great. Yeah, I, if, I, if I was going to do this book, because there's a lot of stuff like that to kind of get you thinking about characters, I wouldn't do it for, like, because I, I make a lot of characters, because when I play D&D, at least last time I played D&D, I was playing a lot of Adventures League. But, you know, doing two or three pages of, of random stuff like that, and, of course, generating a catchphrase for each and every character, is, uh, it's probably worth doing, <laughs> just to give your character some quirks. Oh, it totally adds a little bit of, of life there. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, if you're writing a novel or something, like, do it for the for every character. The whole thing, all hundred and whatever odd pages of it. I, I think it's a lot. I think it's closer to two. But, yeah, anyway. Yeah. I, I, I got that. Because we're part of the legitimate press, sir. Legitimate press. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> all righty. Well, anything else? Uh, let's see here. Let me... uh, Unity showed up. Oh, lucky dog. I haven't gotten mine yet. Okay. You, you should check, because I've gotten two copies of it now, because my... Uh, uh, or not? I haven't gotten two copies of it, but uh, our our, our long lost host got his copy. So yes, uh, two thirds of the trifecta has received it. It always makes me worry that maybe I screwed up the pledge manager or something. I'm usually pretty good about them, but like I always worry when people start getting their stuff and I haven't. I I don't know. They're, it looks like they're shipping it from God, like England or something. So maybe I don't know. When was the last time you checked the mail? Because they they put mine in the box in the mail with the key. I mean, I got the access to the PDF, so I must have done something right. Yeah, yeah. And you haven't moved, so you, they, they, you probably gave him the right address. All right, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I don't know. Have you have you checked your mail recently? Again, key in the box. Who checks the mail in your house? That sounds like a Jessica thing. Eh, it depends on the day. It depends on the day. You, you generally do it every day, though? Uh, Yes and no. 
I go check the after we get done recording. Go check the box. Is it close? I don't even know where your box is. No, it's just down the street by the playground. That's eh, a little far. It's a little far. I checked the box. Maybe you got it. Maybe you got it. Anyway, yes, I, I haven't read it yet. <clears throat> I mean, I read the PDF a while ago, but I, I kind of stopped reading it when I realized that he was he was still tuning a lot of knobs to get it just so. But yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm very much thinking of of running a game of that. But we'll see. We'll see what shakes out. I got to do the Mutant City Blues play test. I, I want to get my name in print. <laughs> And that's it. I am raved and tired. Blah, blah, blah. Pokemon Go. I am spent. Fantastic. Anything else for you, sir? All right. So let's talk about some board games, Robert, because I've, I've managed to get a couple out on the table, and some were even with you. I, I know. Uh, let's start out with the little stuff. Uh, the other day, I had a chance to play uh, a trifecta of games with uh, Dale and a couple other folks. So we played, of all things, Lords of Waterdeep. Nice. I love that game. It's still a classic, still fun. That's one of those games that's fantastic because it's an easy to introduce. It's easy to introduce people to uh, Euro if they've never done a Euro before, mm-hmm. but it's still got the depth that you're looking for as a you know more hardcore gamer. It's just really well. It's it's really well put together that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. So we played uh, we played Lords of Waterdeep. Then we played some Secret Hitler, mm-hmm. which uh, continues to be fun. If you had told me a couple of years ago before Secret Hitler came out that it was going to become my, my go-to for larger groups, I would have laughed because it just had such a silly name. And uh, I got to tell you, man, they, they put together a heck of a game. It's a great uh, social deduction game. Really well done. And then we played some Custom Heroes, which we've talked about on the show before. Yes, we have. And uh, that continues to be fun. And Dale said the funniest thing. He's like, um, I think I want to buy this game. I said, oh, man, you so you must really like it then. He's like, right? And he's like... No, it's okay. <laughs> and I'm the, I'm a couple weeks away from this now, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around that comment. We went on to have a short discussion about it, and, and what what he meant was there's there's a couple things in the rules that he's not necessarily the biggest fan of. Which, quite frankly, I agree. I, I think that the initial point uh, point value that you're working towards is a little too low. Yeah, you mentioned that before. Yeah, because then it makes the game uh, completely winnable in, in just two rounds. But uh, it, it's it, it's all stuff that's easy to homebrew. You know, it's easy to 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 make some changes and, and uh, uh, get around it. So it's nothing that breaks. The, the core game itself is super fun. You know what I learned while I was uh, out in Austin with you? What's that? Dale really likes to hear. Thank you, Dale. Hey, Dale. <laughs> You got Jonathan to play three games that aren't on the list. Yeah, man, it was an entire night, and I didn't get anywhere on that list. Thank you, Dale. Thank you. But then luckily I was able to get around a couple of things on the list. First of all, I added something. Okay. Which then you and I promptly took off, because we're going to be deep diving it tonight, and that is Tiny Epic Zombies. Yes, yes, I realize that. So I won't be I won't be saying anything beyond that for now. Uh, suffice it to say that you and I played it, and it, and I've played it a couple times since then, and it's it's good. It's good. Good enough that we're going to deep dive it. Then I had a chance to play some Dinosaur Island again, which was fun. Did you play that with Dale? Uh, a little while back, but this was a, a different crew. Some uh, other friends that were in town for just a short while. So no, thank you, Dale. Moving on. And then I had a chance to play Arcadia Quest Riders, and I played this with the kids. We had a good time. We had uh, we we had an Arcadia Quest night. Nice. So how do how do the the mounts add to the the core gameplay? Um, it's it's basically uh, it's kind of interesting. So the mounts have their own health, 
And when you're when you're taking damage, you can assign it to either the mount or to the uh, to the rider. Mm-hmm. And so it lets you kind of spread damage out, making you a little hardier. You can dismount and mount the mount. And when you're mounted on the mount, uh, you have access to the mount's special power, which has a cooldown just like all the powers in that game. And those those powers vary vastly uh, from mount to mount. Like, I had a rhinoceros, and his was that when he runs through somebody and displaces them, because the mounts are big, big old animals, right? So they can run through other other people without becoming engaged, mm-hmm. and he just kind of slides them to the side, right? But the rhinoceros does it with such force that he causes damage when he slides people to the side. Nice. Oh, hey, Jonathan, I have a question. Yeah. So earlier you mentioned uh, something about mounting your mount. Do you like mounting your mount? I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> That was a very Timothy Dalton laugh. <laughs> but villain Timothy Dalton, not hero Timothy Dalton. Which, frankly, there's a fine line between. Comparing me to Timothy Dalton and the way that man can choose scenery is... I Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. I, You're I, welcome. Wow. Okay. Whew, it's hot in here. <laughs> what were we even talking about? To arcade Quest Riders. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the riders add some neat stuff to it, and the, the models are really cool, too. And the, the most important thing that comes in that box with the riders is the, the um, mounts get their own, um, their own campaign hmm. that's built to take advantage of having the mounts. Now, we happened to play a scenario from the core game just to try out the, the mount functionality on a map we were all familiar with. But, uh, yeah, the kids liked it. I liked it. It, it adds a new layer of strategy into uh, Arcadia Quest, which kind of it helps it to stay fresh it feels great it's a great expansion i'm very pleased with it nice and then finally you and dale and i sat down with gina and we got to play one of my favorite games of all time Mm-hmm. we played some fury of dracula but we're gonna we're gonna save that we are gonna save that we'll be talking about that more in the future 49 because jonathan yeah. what, what what would fury of dracula be part of our halloween spectacular it's our, forgot my dice, spoopy Halloween Spectacular. Say it right. There it is. There it is. I put some spooky music on when we were playing. Say it right. Say, forgot my dice, spoopy Halloween Spectacular. Spooky or spoopy? Because it sounds spoopy. like you're saying spoopy. It is spoopy. Because <laughs> it's not spooky. This is not, this is not scary. We are not a scary podcast. We are a silly podcast and a little creepy. Thus, the textbook definition of, of spoopy. I think you're the creeper in this podcast. I beg to differ, but whatever. Say it. Say spoopy. Spoopy Halloween Spectacular. I hate you, Jonathan. All right, move on. Spoopy. Don't be spoopy. You don't even know what that word means. No, I really don't. I, I explained it last. Do you do you not even pay attention to word? Do you listen to the podcast? <laughs> I do, but that was so many weeks ago now. It was three weeks, Jonathan. Do Are you spoopy, spoopy in your presence? <laughs> I vaguely remember that. A week ago. A week ago. This time last week, we were playing Mansions of Madness. <laughs> so it's just funny and spooky at the same time, right? Yeah. There you go. I'm on the same page. <laughs> I'm hip. Yeah. I hope the kids like. <laughs> yeah, we're so hip. God, I had one of those moments. I was I was with the kids in Target, and we were going through the toil, and I said, what is this? And the kids were explaining it to me, and I realized, oh my god, it's happened. I have no idea what my kids are into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fingerlings? Were they into fingerlings? I just found I out about that. I still don't know what it was. They gave me a long, complicated explanation. I mean, there's this whole, like, Five Nights at Freddy thing. I don't get that either. It's a video game. 
Get off my lawn. <laughs> it's on the X-Bone, I think. You could you could download it. Uh, I have no interest. Oh, no, it's on the Apple. Is it at the Apple? I don't know. It looks like a, a Chuck E. Cheese had a nightmare and put it out for us to consume. I think the first one's cheap on, like, the iPad or something. You should you should experience the Five Nights at Freddy's. It'll endear you to your children. Uh, all right, let's see. Let's see. Let's see if I feel like it. <laughs> Get off my lawn. All righty. Young punks, get off my lawn. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our We didn't talk about sh- Mansions of Madness, Home Skillet. What? Oh, yeah. You went right over that. Yeah. Yeah, we played Mansions of Madness. You, me, and the wife. She finally got to play. She was so jelly of us playing that game for so oh, but, long. <sighs> How much fun was that game? It was so good. I felt really bad because I think we were playing it kind of late at night, and I think all of us were running out of steam. But, uh, man, it, was, it still holds up. It's so much good. Yeah, yeah. I really wanted to play the time travel scenario, but Gina needed a primer first, and I don't know. if, if We had to figure out a way to play that online. Yeah, God, if we ever come back. Oh, oh God, the boys on that airplane, man. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how about that lady that tried to get you kicked out? Uh, how about that little piece of piece Quest of happiness? for positivity. But, but gentle listener, if you don't have children and somebody has twins on an airplane that are acting awful, just have some sympathy, because that was me. We held up a flight for 20 minutes, and I didn't even know what was going on for a while. It was awful. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our off-the-shelf segment. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, Robert, we'll be having some news in our wisdom of crowds. Heck, yeah. Wow. We have recorded for an hour. Yeah, I know. We need to wrap up. We were all over the place next to Timothy Dalton. <laughs> nice. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by doing one of the following. You can email us at fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash fmdpodcast. We also have Facebook comments enabled for all our posts at forgotmydice.com. You can also message us or tweet us on Twitter. Find us at Forgot My Dice. You can join us on Patreon, where we post outtakes and other bonus content. And if you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give Forgot My Dice a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Store. Lastly, for those of you who want control to sanction the podcast, pick up your shoe phone and call Agent 82. Chief, it's acceptable to get podcasts on our wristwatches. It won't be distracting. I, I just don't even know what's happening right now. Well, it's classified, Jonathan. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Oh, we've got to get these things upgraded from the 1960s. And we're back. And now it's time, of course, for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. This is our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. And, Robert, I think it's safe to say that we are in the post-Gen Con news slump. Yeah, not not a ton, but there's there's definitely some stuff out there. True that. True that. All right. Well, why don't you kick us off with the uh, Guildmaster's Guide Ravnica? So we got more information about the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. They've been kind of starting up the, the media tour on that now that uh, the Dungeon of the Mad Mage is out. I will just uh, give you everything I have heard on the interwebs. Which mainly came from N-World. So in the text of the book, uh, you remember Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica? This is the D&D conversion of, a, of the magic plane, right? Remember this? Yeah. Yes, okay. Mana colors are not going to come up in the book at all, in any way. And they said it's because it, uh, it never comes up in flavor text. No one ever says, I'm casting red magic or whatever. And it, it's more of a 
conceit i guess of the of the game more than uh, an actual thing in the lore which i can buy according to lore i've read most people aren't really aware of mana colors in in that game as it is so i'm not i'm not terribly shocked confirms that they're not going to have like white or red mana threads or or archetypes or whatever you want to call it sure the various guilds of which there are 10 in ravnica they will be represented as backgrounds your characters can take. So if you want to be a member of a guild, you know, if you want to be part of the Boros Legion, you just take the Boros Legion background or guild membership background. So, hey, woo, 10 new backgrounds uh, for your, your D&D game. How fun is that? They say there's going to be slightly less monsters than Morden Kanan's Tome, Tome of Foes, which is means there's going to be a ton of monsters in that book. Because Morden Kanan's Tome, Tome of Foes was not insignificant amount of stuff. So yeah, we're gonna get, we're gonna get some stuff. We're gonna get some stuff from Magic. Maybe we'll get Borbo Yorgos, who only who only yells uh, slaughter them and we feed. I guess <laughs> he's a cyclops. <laughs> the new races, it's confirmed. So we talked about the four of them that they were released as a play test. The other two came out in previous Unearthed Arcanas. So we're gonna get centaurs, minotaurs, uh, loxodons, which are the elephant people, uh, simic hybrids, which are the Cronenberg race. Um, Videlkins and the Vashino. Uh, Videlkins are blue skin guys with extra finger joints and I think extra fingers. And the Vashino are, are just kind of nutty uh, lizard people. And uh, yeah, you, we've seen all of them in previous Unearthed Arcanas. And they confirmed that they've been kind of stealth testing a lot of stuff from this book. Like, uh, remember a long time ago when I was talking about the, the mushroom druid? Yeah. And how weird it was? Yeah, that's going to be the class archetype for uh, the, the Golgari Guild. And they've also mentioned that the Order Domain, which I don't remember all that much. I kind of remember it existed, but that's going to be for the Boros Legion. So, yeah, we're going to get some new archetypes, but we've seen them before. They just kind of didn't really say they were for, you know, magic at the time. But, you know, honestly, the Golgari getting a Mushroom Druid for their fluff kind of makes sense. And that's all I've got so far. But the the book continues to sound kind of fun. It's going to have a little bit of everything for everybody. You know, new official class paths, new, I hope, new spells. I mean, come on. It's Magic the Gathering in D&D. they got to have some spells. they got to. really nailing these, these, these books in these universes. I'm really impressed. Yeah, I, I can't wait. I'm really curious. I mean, this is finally, after 20 years or whatever, finally officially releasing a D&D books set in a magic universe like who would have thought I'm, I'm happy it, it is overdue it, it really begs the question of why didn't you all think about this earlier I've heard a lot of things I, I, I think we can lay the blame or the praise or whatever you want to call it right at the feet of James Wyatt who used to be on the D&D team then shifted over to the magic fluff team but he started writing the plane shifts kind of for fun to make another selling point for the art books he was making for the magic team because that was also his his project apparently the the plane shifts are a thing <laughs> I'm, I'm super glad because they're great yeah so what do you got jonathan all right uh, you want a news bite sure so simon's got a bunch of stuff coming out real soon listen to this you ready yeah i'm ready first of all is blue moon city which uh is a spiel the yar nominee for 2006 it's a ryan reiner Kenitsa game and it's getting a reprint from cool mini or not so that's exciting next up they're releasing sugar blast it's, it looks like Candy Crush, the game. And it, it looks fun. It looks kooky. Like, it, it, it's it got kind of a, um, that Candy Crush, you know, pop them and they all settle down and maybe you get a combo type deal. Which is interesting because they've explored this concept before with Potion Explosion. Yeah, I was just thinking that. So it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they explore it in this, uh, in this particular way. And then finally, I got a bunch of new stuff coming out for the Lannisters uh, in their 
Song of Ice and Fire miniatures game. Ooh. Four new boxes of Lannister armies coming. Guardsmen, crossbowmen, the Heroes Pack 1, and the uh, Knights of Casterly Rock. <laughs> nice. So it'll be, it looks like they're really kind of throwing their weight behind Song of Ice and Fire, which uh, I, I hope it does well. It's a neat game. I got a chance to play it over at uh, Origins. Nice. So Tabletop News is reporting that Monster Apocalypse has been delayed. I know, I'm way bummed out about this. Yeah, for whatever reason, the container that had everything got held up at customs, so they have to delay it until that gets all sorted out, which is sad. Uh, I just have to wait slightly longer for my not-at-all Godzillas. All right, over to you, Jonathan. Z-Man has announced a new game. It's a, uh, a family game. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. It's about cockroaches. <laughs> and they're all dancing, and they're wearing costumes. Wait, is this Joe's Apartment, the board game? No, it's called Party Bugs. It's <laughs> worse. You're gonna, you're, players will attempt to control a wild cockroach dance, uh, co- cockroach disco party. <laughs> you're going to keep the party under control by shooing the big pests to your opponent's side of the dance floor and keeping your smaller bugs close by. <laughs> the only reason I chose to talk about this is because the art on this game is wacky. It's so much fun. It's so goofy. I like it. I like it. Because all the uh, all the cockroaches are wearing costumes. Like there's one that looks like Superman. There's what? one that looks like Dracula. Ah. There's one that looks like Frankenstein, Cleopatra. Oh. There's one that looks like Fat Elvis. Oh, they're cockroaches. It's gross. I know, right? It's it's amazing. It's a party. It's like a 15 minute party game. So I, I have a feeling I know what niche this is going to fill. And I this is the kind of thing I think I can show the kids, and we're all going to get a good laugh out of it. <laughs> Hasbro Investor News has released that Hasbro and Epic Games have high-fived and Fortnite uh, board games are coming to a store near you, starting off with Fortnite Monopoly. I mean, I want to say I'm surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised either. But here's here's the real question. Because the locations on the map continuously shift uh, from season to season, how are they going to rectify that in the game? Are we just going to get new board expansions? So here's the thing, like they they changed up Monopoly for Gamer Monopoly for Mario Kart Monopoly essentially, right? Yeah. What if what if they roll that in to Fortnite Monopoly in some way? Like what if the location shifting due to random events like the cube falling into the lake or whatever? That'd be cool. What if that actually does stuff? That would be cool. Yeah, yeah. The lake doesn't exist anymore, by the way. Oh, uh, what happened to the lake? Um the island in the middle uh got ripped out of the uh land and now is floating above the lake um because of some weird vortex thing. And the water on the outside of the lake now just pours in like a waterfall. It's fair. There's a giant hole in the earth. It's fair. You know, it's like a it's like a cork. That, that, that's it. I'm done. Those are my three stories. That's all I could find. All right. Well, I got a few more stories. Um, back to Seamon. Uh, They're also releasing the Stark Bowmen, the Stark Sworn Swords, the Tully Sworn Shields, and the Stark Heroes Pack. So a lot of the stuff that we we saw with the Kickstarter, but it's just a retail release. But because it's a tactical miniatures game, all this stuff's going to be great because you're going to be able to round out your army and try new things. Nice. For a brand new miniatures game just on the market, they're really supporting it in interesting ways. I'm, I'm very curious to see the, the kinds of armies that people are building. Sorry, you're making me want to look up the miniatures again. They do look good. They do look real good. Yeah, I like how uh, not over the top they are. The knights especially look awesome. They do a good job yeah, of making do. them look not crazy, but awesome. Now, have you heard of Tabletopia? No. 
So it's one of the digital sandboxes out there that you can use to play tabletop games online. Okay, okay. Yeah, there's Tabletop Simulator, there's Tabletopia. Well, it's interesting because Tabletopia is actually launching on Android tablets and phones. That's a big step. That is a big step. Like as an app? Uh, As an app, yeah. Oh, that's cool. So what games are you going to be able to play on Tabletopia? Um, There's a bunch of big stuff like Subterra, Tuscany, Champions of Midgard. Uh, I believe My Little Scythe is there. (laughs) Nice. We should play My Little Scythe together. We should. That would actually please me to know it. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. If if only I had an Android device, sir. If only I had an Android device. I believe it's iOS as well. Now available on on iOS. Oh, there you go. crap. Now, we talked about this game on uh, the podcast before because Dale has a copy of it, and that is uh, The Quest for Eldorado. Yes, and I, I made uh, Road to Eldorado jokes, and you didn't get them. Uh, so, it's, yes, so it's a 2000 C, it's 2017 Spiel de Yar nominee, and it's getting its first expansion, Heroes and Hexes. So, it's basically, it's a deck building game right so there's a lot of different ways that they could take this because the 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 deck building aspect makes it so that you know there's there you can introduce a lot of variety into this game does the expansion allow me to sing elton john songs sure i think so cool i'm gonna allow it you're gonna allow it that's a feature people not a bug speaking of expansions feast of odin is getting its first expansion the norwegians I don't know why that sounds so ominous, but it's cool. <laughs> so Feast of Odin's been out about two years now, so it's it's uh, definitely time for an expansion. And in the Norwegians, we get a lot more of what you love. Um, it, it, you know, Feast of Odin's a giant, it's a humongous worker placement game. Hugely complicated. And Norwegians adds a fifth column of actions to the game, which is huge, and a bunch more worker slots. So it's just it's going to expand pretty much. It seems like from from what I've read here, none of the core mechanics are going to change. But what it does is gives you more variety and and more of the core mechanics. So it's uh, it's interesting that a game like that it's uh, so supremely balanced. It'll be interesting to see how this works in. I like that though. I like expansions that really shake things up. That's that's always a good sign. Yeah, no, that's the best kind. That's the best kind. And finally, rounding at the news, uh, we are getting a new edition of Camel Up. It's coming from Eggert Spiel. So, that explains so much. Why? Because I still haven't been able to get that game. So one of the things that they uh, settle is the controversy of whether it's Camel Up or Camel Cup. It's Camel Up. <laughs> it's settled. The art leaves nothing to the imagination. It's clearly Camel Up. Ooh, the pyramid's made out of plastic. Ooh. Yeah, the pyramid's made out of plastic. Um, there's a bunch of uh, there's a couple of new things introduced, like rogue camels, which are strange racers who who will often run the wrong direction on the track and stuff like that. It's a whole new set of uh, of art for the game. It's basically a version 2.0 of Camel Up. Now, you and I have talked about Camel Up pretty extensively on the show. We're both big fans of it, so I, I don't know about you, but I'm stoked about this. I almost pulled the trigger and got a copy of this not all that long ago, but I, I held back for some reason. And, uh, it worked out well for you, sir. It, I chose, but I chose wisely. Well, that brings us to the end of our news this episode, Robert. Now, of course, it is time for our Year in the Life, our segment where we look back at what we deep dove a year ago. We've got about 365 seconds to talk about it again. If we want to go longer, then we need to take that sucker off the shelf and play it. So, let's begin. Forgot My Dice, episode 24, 
your Bon Jovi is weak. And we were playing, we weren't playing anything. We were talking about Plane Shift Amonkhet. I love that universe still. That's still one of my favorite magic universes. Well, you, you like Egyptian stuff, so that's not, not I shocking. Do. I do. I do. We both haven't played it, because I know you haven't played any D&D since then, and I haven't. Actually, I have. Sadly, but. I haven't. No, it makes me sad that I haven't had a chance to. Yeah, I keep threatening that I'm going to do something in Innistrad, but that still hasn't happened yet. I keep hoping that you do so that I can play it online with you. Yeah, I'm starting to think I should uh, I should shove some peanut butter in my chocolate and uh, run run Curse of Strahd in Innistrad using Unity. Because <laughs> that'll just... Wow, that's complicated. I know, right? <laughs> well, all, all of those things are on my bucket list. I want to play Unity. Because I got like an idea for a class, but I like actually need to play the game to kind of you know know how to play the game. Makes sense. I really want to play Curse of Strahd, and I really want to play in one of the magic settings that I got a plane shift for, and I love me the Innistrad. And uh, the plane shift Innistrad had the the conversion notes for uh, Curse of Strahd, so I'm like, I should just jam that all together in one go. That's what I'm thinking anyway. That sounds perfect. But that is not about Amonkhet. Amonkhet is is its own is its own thing. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what to say about Amonkhet. I, I, I really. I dug it. It wasn't my favorite setting. My favorite to date is probably Zendikar, and which we never talked about, and uh, Kaladesh. I like Kaladesh. Yeah, I do too. I In do fact, too. they're kind of on a roll right now with me. I mean, the, the, the this is the first time that the uh, settings have really been speaking to me. Even Dominaria. Dominaria got to you a little bit. A little bit. Not as much as Amonkhet, and not as much as. Um, well, it's less focused. And Ravnica? Does Ravnica sound at all interesting? Ravnica does sound very interesting. The Coruscant of, of, of Fantasy Worlds? Coruscant? Whatever. That Star Wars city planet thing. I really liked what they did with the... Um, was it the bird people? The Avon. The Avon. <laughs> Those guys were cool. How they all had different heads, but they're all people bodies. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, there's uh, there's merfolk. And I think possibly even Avon on Ravnica. Oh, wait, no, there's no Avon. But there are, there are merfolk. I don't know why they're not going to be in in the racist chapter. Well, they're not terribly common. Are they the Kenra, the the the, the jackal people? But I know there's merfolk in what's left of the oceans of Ravnica. They live in the basically the the bottom parts in the submerged areas. They just loved it, man. This is the one that had the minotaurs too, right? And the snake people. I can't remember the snake people's names. Uh, not uh the not snake people. Oh, uh, Almanket. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, totally had the snake people. Yeah, they, remember? Yeah, yeah. They had a big cobra guy. Yeah, sorry, I'm 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 on Ravnica. It tells you where my head is. Yeah, yeah. They had they had because it's Egypt. Yeah, they had serpent headed people. They they had bird people, but they were they were even like in Dominaria, but they were ibn headed instead of like eagle headed people, bird people. Yeah exactly and then yeah they had like the gnolls or yeah something like that yeah they had bird people they had the minotaurs they had the snake people and then they had the jackal people yeah yeah it was a good time it was all the the kind of the standard tropes from uh egyptian uh, mythology yep awesome yep and the gods ran around and it turned out to be all an elaborate ruse by nicobolus to make an army of super mummies <laughs> it makes sense to me. I'm down with the super mummies. Yeah, yeah. If that's not a mustache twirling villains plot, I don't know what is. Yes, I'll I'll conquer a plane and then brainwash all its inhabitants for sixty years to make an army of super mummies. Ah! <laughs> By the way, while we're on the subject of mummies, can I just say that the Mummy and the Mummy Two? I, I shouldn't enjoy those movies nearly as much as I do. They made a second Tom Cruise movie. No, no, the Brendan Fraser ones. Uh, the Tom Cruise movies is. is uh, Oh, yeah. oh, oh, I was just kidding. I knew exactly what you were talking about. Those were good movies. 
They are. They're, 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 it's like uh, kind of like Rocketeer. They actually age well, except for friggin' uh, the Rock's Scorpion King guy. That could be me. You know, I think if we're segueing and we're going to end up on Timothy Dalton again, I'm sure. Uh, we, we Timothy Dalton pro- isn't in those. We, we, we probably we probably should stick a pin in it and say uh, uh, Plane Shift Amonkhet. Probably we need to take off the shelf again to figure out how to fit more Timothy Dalton inside it. Oh, I mean, he's going to fit in there great. Are you kidding me? Like a, a mustachioed British villain who's trying to exploit the mummy for for his own needs, especially if he if he's actually uh, in league with the fascists and, and he's trying to, like, power up their army with super. But now no, you got to go back to Amonkhet. You know who he should be in in the, in this? He should be the voice of uh, Nicol Bolas. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He'd be perfect. That would actually make sense. I like it. Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton is Nicol Bolas. I like it. I like it. So I think what we've discovered here is that Amonkhet just needs more Timothy Dalton. That's right. If there's any lesson to learn from our podcast. I really want you to explore the Timothy Dalton. <laughs> explore Explore it. Explore the space of Timothy Dalton. That's right. Really get in there. I can really imagine there. him like looking at you with that really intense look and, and him just going, don't touch me like that. <laughs> Oh, man, I'd actually pay money to make this happen. <laughs> if anybody out there knows Timothy Dalton, get him so that we can have him on the show as a, as a guest. Or or get magic to make a magic movie. Or get wizards to make a magic movie and cast him as Nicol Bolas. Yeah, I'd be down. I'd be down. Do you remember, like, uh, the smog effects? Can you imagine, like, Timothy Dalton with the dots all over his face like uh, like Sherlock had? That'd be great. I can, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, how much better would, would the Hobbit movies have been if it wasn't Sherlock and it was Timothy Dalton? Like a thousand times better? <laughs> but then again, it doesn't take much to make the Hobbit movies better. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be right back here on the Timothy Dalton podcast. <laughs> we will return after a short break with, of course, our deep dive of tiny epic zombies. And Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton's deep dive of Tiny Epic Zombies. (laughs) Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And we are back, and it's time for our deep dive. And this week, Robert, what are we deep diving? Tiny Epic Zombies by Gamelin Games. Now, this is, of course, one of the games in the Tiny Epic series. We've had Tiny Epic Kingdoms, Tiny Epic Quests, Tiny Tiny Epic Zombies. is just the latest and greatest. And these are, these are all really neat games because they come in this tiny little box, but there's a full-on you know, tabletop experience in that tiny box. An unthinkable crisis has struck the Echo Ridge Mall. A mysterious outbreak has claimed the lives of nearly everyone there. What's worse, they're crawling the stores and commons as zombies hungry for flesh. In Tiny Epic Zombies, survivors are always on the run, collecting weapons, killing zombies, and working towards completing objectives. Completing three objectives can win you the game, but if you're too focused on the objectives, the zombies will overrun the mall, and that will be the end of you. Only a few survivors remain. Are you among them? Or are you one of the ravenous zombies? The choice is yours in Tiny Epic Zombies. 
Well, now, the first thing I noticed when we started playing Tiny Epic Zombies is just the sheer amount of variety that's that's in the components. So the mall itself is made up of modular cards, right? That's one of the first things you lay out on the table. And the neat thing about it is every time you play it, the mall is going to be in a slightly different configuration, which means that things are going to be spread out, and it's not necessarily going to always be the same game. I didn't notice when we were playing, but are there more mall cards, or were we playing with the whole lot? No, that's the one thing that there's not uh, extras of, at least in, you know currently. But the the mall is always the mall. It always has the same stores, but the layout's going to be different. Yeah, because you can lay them out in a different order. Okay, yeah. I think that's more connected to the the needs of the mall to have certain things for certain uh, you know certain of the random the random objectives that you have every single. Round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. It makes sense. I was just curious if they you know had different scenarios or whatnot. The thing I noticed when I was researching this uh, for the deep dive is there's a cooperative play playing method that does not require someone to play the zombies, and that's what we totally should have done. Well, okay, yeah, that's another thing that you'll notice right out of the bo- uh, right out of the box. You have several different game modes here. You have one player is the zombies, everybody else is the survivors. You've got all the survivors against the zombies. And then they have the same thing where nobody's playing the zombies, they're on autopilot, but everybody's competing, and then one person's playing the zombies, and everybody's competing. And there's a solo mode, which I've played a couple times now, and it's quite fun. So there's a lot of bang for your buck out of this box, which I'm pretty sure is a hallmark of the series, from what I remember of it. Oh, absolutely. It's always been something that they're they're, uh, trying to accomplish. I like that cooperative play. We should have all played together, Jonathan. I I, Uh want to be on your side, because you always win. The first thing that we they, um, they suggest that you do is is the mode that we played together, and that is cooperative versus zombie. And in this particular game mode, one person is playing as the zombies, and everybody else is playing as survivors. Now, when you set up the game, there's going to be, like we were talking about, quite a bit of variety. Once you've got your mall set up, you are going to choose random objective cards. And these cards can, can vary pretty wildly in what you need to do. And these objective cards are basically going to give the survivors something that they are working towards. Now, what were some of the objective cards that you played with, Robert? If I remember correctly, we had one that was we had to collect parts for the helicopter, but we could only sort of like collect one part at a time. So if we got the first part back to the home base that we had in the, in the center of the mall, it would spawn part two. And we had to just get through all of that, you know, collect them all and bring them back to the base to fix the helicopter. We had another one where we had to let the army into the base um, by giving up our movement actions to let them move into it. Um, And we had to get four squads into the center of the mall to help the the survivors out. And the third one was, oh, the third one was the hard one. It was the one where we had to contain the zombies. So we couldn't kill them. We had to, like, roll something really specific on a six, one side of a six-sided dice to contain yes, them. And that's because you, you were trying to basically contain them so that you could cu- you pull a cure from them, right? Yeah, yeah, we were, like, studying them for some reason. That, that one was rough. That, that was the hard one. Now, the, the way that these objectives play out are all vastly different from one another, too. Because, like you said, your, your containment one involved a die roll, which puts a, a certain amount of chance in there. One of them has you sacrificing actions. Another one has you uh, basically chasing around and, and forcing you to move quite a bit through the mall as you try and get the different parts. So I, I really like that because it, it, it's, it forces everybody to try different play styles. How, how many of those cards would you say there actually are? I didn't actually look at that deck. There are a total of nine objective cards, and you're going to use three in any given game. So that gives you quite a bit of variety. As, the, as They're going to link together quite a bit differently as well. Because the, the survivors only win 
if the uh, if they complete their three objectives. Yeah, they all, they require you to do a lot of stuff. Yeah, differently because you know moving around the mall collecting the helicopter parts that was pretty easy to organize. But you know your turn, you're, you're so limited in what you can do that you know giving up a turn to let the army move or a movement action is is kind of rough. Considering you have to get four of them too. It is. That's a huge investment from the from the game's perspective. Yeah. So. Oh, that that objective was just rough because, or actually, it was the quarantine one was rough because uh, we got wrecked by the quarantine a couple times. Now, another set of cards that you're going to deal with are basically um, supplies and um, what would you say? It's, it's mostly good stuff. It's it's the supply and search deck, and what what this is is basically a deck of cards that you're going to construct a little bit differently every game, and that's going to get shuffled up a little bit differently every game. Part of it is going to be just a general deck that you can use when you are searching in the mall. Part of it is going to be a, a deck that is specifically around actions that are being taken. Um, and another part of the deck is going to go to the zombie player, if there is one. And that zombie player is going to use those cards to manipulate the survivors. And we did not spend enough time searching when we were playing that game. We really should have done that more. Mistakes. Were no, made. I was surprised that you didn't do it more, honestly. I, it just didn't occur to me. I mean, partially it was just we didn't think about it at first. I, w- I wish we had the time that night to, to try another round or to play a couple rounds of it and then like re-rack and start over just so we could kind of get a better sense of it. But yeah, yeah, that's my, that is my that is my only regret. We only got the one game in and, and two would have been better because it, it took us, like f- from the zombie player, it seems pretty easy to figure out what you need to do, which is just murder the humans. That's That's not a hard objective, but figuring out like order of operations and how much we should be searching versus how much we should be doing other stuff that that was a little bit more there's more nuance to that and 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 that that took a playthrough to kind of get a sense of yeah absolutely it, is, it has a very pandemic feel in that respo- uh, respect in that your 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 table's going to communicate intensively trying to figure out what the the uh, most efficient order of operations going to be that's going to give you the more mo- most bang for each turn Now, once you have this deck built up and split up into all these different components, and once you've got your mall built up and your objectives selected, you're going to lay out a bunch of tokens, and those tokens are going to be specific to the objectives. And they're pretty simple. The the helicopter part was just a little gear. And for the quarantine one, there wasn't anything on the board. It was actually on the objective card itself. It was just a little slider. We had to get to five. We had to quarantine five zombies. Done. Now, the zombie player uh, gets to start out with a couple zombies on the corners of the mall. And that's important because the survivors are all going to be holed up in the dead center of the mall in the security room. Now, the way movement works for zombies is that um, the zombies don't actually leave rooms and move around. What they do is they slowly fill up each room and each card that makes up the mall consists of three separate rooms. So every every, uh, card of the nine cards that make up the mall can hold three zombies. Once the zombie player has added those, and you'll be adding two zombies per turn, uh, if the room is full, then there are some rules about where does the zombie go next. And it's generally going to go into the next room. And if you happen to get them into the center area, which is where the uh, survivors are holed up, they are going to lose a point off their barricade tracker. And the barricade tracker is basically all the stuff that they've got piled up to make the security room a completely safe place for the survivors. Now... For the zombie player, what you're trying to do is basically get into that center area because that's going to make them start taking damage. Or you're going to give out damage to players within the play area, depending on what choices they make uh, in regards to exploring the mall and interacting with the zombies. 
So why don't you tell us a little bit about those uh, interactions that you have as the the human player going after the zombies? Everything I remember is just I remember about quarantining them. But basically, uh, when you run into a zombie, you you fight them essentially. It comes with a a custom die that has different things on all the sides. There's basically the really bad pip, which is I think you take like two damage or something, if I remember correctly. Uh, there's the bad pip where you take one. There's a, a blank. There's the you kill the zombie, and then there's the you kill the zombie awesomely, which is what you need to get to quarantine them. And yeah, uh, think of it like an overkill. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's two blank sides, if I remember correctly. Well, there's the there's the overkill. There's the no additional effect, and then there's the taking one damage or taking two damage. Okay, so what uh, are there just two blank sides, or or what's the breakdown of the die? No, I don't think there's two blank sides. I think everything has. Hold on. Well, it's a six-sided die, so we're missing two sides. Yeah, but there's more than one of certain stuff. Like, there's two overkills. Oh, okay. And two, uh, two no effect. Okay. Well, that's slightly better. The overkill is uh, is at least one in three. But yeah, well, that feels better. I didn't realize it was one in three. <laughs> you guys kind of po- definitely rolled poorly that oh, night. Oh, gosh, yeah. We were, the, the random number gods were not very nice to us that night. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty easy. You run into a zombie, you roll a die, and it, it's resolved... Or, well, maybe not, because if you're still in combat with a zombie, you just kind of have to keep rolling until you murder one. I mean, from from a human perspective, your your turn's really easy. You're going to move three times, and then after you move, you're either going to kill a zombie, you're going to use the room's ability, or you're going to collect items. Yep. That's that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. It's a, it's a very simple game in that regard. But that's not where the strategy is. No. No, the strategy is, is moving around, trying to do things in a certain order, and I, we, we lost exactly how the box said... Or, or that little blurb I read said we were going to lose. We kind of stopped killing zombies after a while because we were a little weak. Yeah, and you got overran. And we got overran pretty quick. Like, yeah, you kind of you kind of do have to go through and do zombies. And that's where the searching comes in because we did not search enough. And basically what the weapons do is they allow you to, like, re-roll a lot or just add to rolls or, you know. Basically, I think most of them are just if you get a specific result, you can roll again once. And, you know, rolling any die twice if you get a bad result is not bad. That's that's always a good thing. <laughs> what you can do is you could, you could spend bullet tokens to just murder a zombie, right? Well, because you've got two tokens on your on your player board, right? Yeah, there was the health and there was the... I, I never ended up using the bullet just because I was rolling so terribly for a while. Well, everybody starts with zero to nine health. Right. And and this is kind of, we can kind of talk a little bit about the heroes here. Yeah. And your bullet tracker starts on nine, and then your uh, health starts on on zero because you've taken no damage, and you're still in the game until those two tokens meet. Yeah, because at that point you've either you don't have the resources or the health or a little bit of both to survive the apocalypse. So it's not like you have nine bullets; it's more of an abstract value of your combat ability, just with the junk that you have on you. Yeah, and you expending those bullets is basically akin to you exhausting yourself. Yes. Yes. When exhaustion and actual physical damage meet, that's when the survivor is, is lost. Our two-player game, we had two sort of backup survivors, although the zombies got in and carted one of them away, which sucked. But when I died first, I just basically respawned as one of the survivors stepped up and said, oh, I'm actually, I think I turned into the athlete. So it's like, I'm actually an athlete. I can actually help you guys out. Well, and this is where the game gets interesting, because there are a ton of survivors in the game. That's true, and they all have uh, kind of a unique power. theres uh, I want to say there's nine cards that come with it. It looked like nine. Fourteen. Fourteen? Oh, my. You, you kind of dole out three at the beginning of the game, and then you pick one of three, and then the rest of them just kind of get shuffled into a deck and come up randomly 
after that. Now, the cool thing is that the, the zombie uh, player starts off just as normal zombies. And if a, a hero character is actually killed, you, the zombie player will actually take that player board, flip it over to the zombie side, and then they have a super-powered zombie. Yeah, and it it's not really a super-powered zombie. It kind of just opens up a... Because that, that zombie's There's never on the table. specific effects. But it, it, yeah, it opens up more actions that the zombie player can take because uh, one of the things that happens is... If uh, if a card comes up, um, they all are like tied to a type of room because basically there's eight, nine, there's nine, nine rooms. Yeah, there's nine rooms in the mall. Nine if you count the the, the center, the security office. Yeah, so eight eight rooms that you're going to interact. Eight, with. eight rooms that you interact with, and basically two. So there's there's basically four types of rooms because there's sort of like a color associated with two of the rooms. And if you get a card played on you while you're in a room that matches the color, so if you're like in the blue room, if you're in a room that's tagged blue and you get a blue card, you've made noise, which basically gives the zombie player a resource to mess with you. And if nobody's died, they have one track that they can do that with, with eh, all right powers. But as players die, it opens up new tracks that they can start going up and giving them more action types. And it's, it's kind of cool because it is based off of your character. So I was playing the I was playing that girl. What was she? Was she the slacker? I just remember I would heal if I didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, certainly they're all based on very common movie tropes. But yeah, but once once I died as that character, you flipped over and and you got some abilities kind of based off that. Like if we weren't taking actions with the zombies, the the zombies, you know, got slacker abilities which made them stronger as they were not messed with or something like that. So it's really cool because it, it does add a lot of variety for the zombie player, too, because as they are murdering people, they are rewarded with a new action set. And there's enough variation in those action sets and, and interactions. It, it could get pretty interesting, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. There's it, it, Variety is the name of the game here. Yeah, yeah. Which is another, I think I think that's a very common thing with the Tiny Epic games. Because, you know, cards, lots of cards, lots of options. And, you know, I mean, like, like having 14 people available when... At best, you're only ever going to actually dish out 12 because it's a four-player game on the human side, if I'm not mistaken. That's just kind of cool because it means there, you know, there, there's always going to be those two outliers, <clears throat> regardless of how many players you have. So there's a lot of variety in there. Yeah, especially since you you never know how things are going to interact with each other, which is, is half the fun. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Once the human characters have gone, it's the zombies' turn, and that's a pretty straightforward thing. Basically, the first thing they're going to do is check for noise. If there's noise, and it's going to really depend on, on where they are, that, that could have an effect on, on what the zombies do. Next, you're going to add new zombies, and adding new zombies is pretty straightforward. The, the player gets to take a couple zombies and add them to the board. And really what they're looking to do is flood the board in a specific way to force an interaction or to uh, flood an area to force people to go into the, um, uh, the center stronghold, which will slowly start to strip away their their resources and force them uh, into a situation that they you know don't want to be in you've got a barricade to to keep the zombies out and it starts at two it can get powered up to six but it can only get six is the cap and every time a zombie hits that barricade they weaken it and the the weakening is you know permanent to an effect and if they get the barricade to zero they come in and, and somebody has died and, you know, fending off the zombie attack or whatever. And it's basically, uh, it, it's, it's, it's like a Mario game, you know? It's like one of your lives. We lost one of those guys, and then I was the one who died first. So when Gina died, that was it. She was out of the game. There were no more respawns left. Yeah. 
Which kind of sucked. <laughs> and, and you won very soon after that. And then once that happens, the, the barricade resets to two and so on and so forth. And there's tokens on the game that are like supplies that you can bring back to the center board, which do beef up the the barricade but once you expend those 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 resources are just gone so if you're not dealing with the zombies which is where we 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 messed up uh yeah that just that just happens and then once all the respawns are gone if the zombies get into the center of the board like that's it it's just game over at that point yeah and and in terms of how it goes into the theme that's exactly what happens in the zombie movies which is kind of neat mm-hmm mm-hmm now, one of my favorite aspects of the game is uh, uh, some of the components that you get to use. So this is the second tiny epic game that comes with these item meeples. And these are meeples with little holes in them that let you attach items to it. And so kind of what are some of the things that you're going to attach here? Ye standard issue uh, zombie apocalypse weapons. You got like the uh, the Negan style uh, barbed wire covered baseball bat, uh, a variety of guns, uh, a chainsaw because, you know, you can't you can't not do the evil dead. Are there like Molotov cocktails and stuff? I can't remember. There were there were a ton. Yeah, of a couple different little things like that. Yeah, yeah. There's just a lot of little things. Uh, everything you'd recognize from The Walking Dead or any zombie movie. Just handheld weapons with which to go murder zombies. Yeah, definitely. It's it's um, using all the tropes that you've come to effect, uh, expect from the genre. But then there's a couple other fun things that you get to do with these item meeples too. And one of them is that there are actually vehicles in the game. Oh yeah, I forgot about them. Yeah, there's a police car and a uh, and a chopper. And it's cute. It's got a little cutout, and uh, you can put your meeple inside it, drive around. Well, and if you remember, the the mall cards are double sided, and so there's a slightly different variation on both sides. And so it's a police station on one side with a police car, or a garage with a chopper in it on the other side. Right. Yeah, the ways those work. It, it, if you hop into them, you can just kind of drive around the exterior of the mall and hop into another room on the outside and even though the uh the mall has rooms in in all of the stores uh there's not like you know there's no permanent walls they just say the mall is so damaged from the zombie apocalypse you can you you know you can find a way to get through anything just because the walls there doesn't mean there's not a hole in it and you know the yeah i thought that was kind of an interesting rule but it it made for fun yeah no it was good it's good that's one of the conceits that's good for the uh, the human players because the zombies have to follow a specific route following those those walls but we didn't. So that was kind of like one of the advantages that the people had. Because you could cut zombies off, basically. I mean, the name of the game is you roam around the mall using your action economy to either gather things, heal yourself up, shore up your, your little stronghold, or, you know, murder zombies. And you're just trying to do that before you get overridden, overrun. And it's pretty much impossible not to get overrun uh, sooner or later because there's just... There's just too many zombies, man. There's just too many zombies. <laughs> Gotta keep them clean. Gotta keep them all patched up. Yeah. Now, as far as the zombie player goes, you're basically running around and you're trying to place your zombies in such a way that you can force uh, certain things to happen. Uh, you're also playing a little guessing game because in the zombie deck of cards, when each turn they're going to hand a piece of equipment out. And that equipment's going to have a color on it. And if the color matches the color of the card matches the color of the square that the player moved into then they get their bonus yeah you get that resource to to use your zombie special abilities or whatnot but that's kind of fun because it makes every single turn have this guessing game on it yeah and and you're all right there at the table and it's considered open information like you can't go huddle off in a corner and kind of come up with a game plan so you kind of have to try to come up with a game plan but not give too much away to to let the zombie player like predict things (laughs) Which I guess is that ever-present bad luck that people tend to have in zombie movies, you know, where they just happen to go into the thing where the zombie just happens to be hiding, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
in, in that regard, like everything, it, it it's funny. That game is really, really abstract, which, you know, shocker, it's a game with meeples in it, you know, and, and not little figures. And the mall, like if if an actual factual mall was laid out in that way, it it wouldn't make a lick of sense. But it's 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 because it's all like an abstraction. You know, the bullet and the health marker are are more a judge of your, you know, general well-being and the resources you have. And it's not actually like a physical amount of bullets. The mall is just kind of an abstraction of a mall and not really a actual mall. And yeah, it's 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 interesting, but everything is it fits with its genre really well. If you sort of look at it more as the this is like the broad strokes of a sort of zombie apocalypse plot and not like an actual factual map of everything that's going on. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I dug it for that. You know, that, that game knows what it wants to be. No, it totally does. It totally does. It wants to be a, a game with a cute little meeples that have little holes in their sort of meeply hands that you can put stuff in, which I, I, I'm guessing because we took a couple pictures of it. I'm guessing uh, that will probably be the image associated with uh, this episode on the website. Yes. And it's something they started doing with Tiny Epic Quest, and it just works so well. It adds this, this whole bunch of flavor to an abstract. Yeah. Yeah, it totally does. Because weapons are cool. And having little weapons on your little dude is cool. And I like that the weapons are flat and they have like a really good profile because like the weapon cards have art on them, but there was no point where I was like really searching through the pile of weaponry and confused. Like, you know, you have to like go through the pile of weaponry and like look for things and, and guns are similar, but every gun lined up really good with its piece of art in silhouette, which uh, that was good art design. Yeah. So Jonathan, the eternal question, the question of the podcast, our ongoing feature, how was that rule book? Straightforward and to the point. Index, no index? So there's no index per se, but there is a glossary with some clarifications in it. And honestly, the rule book is, is um, not the biggest thing in the world, so I, I never missed the index, oddly enough. And the handy-dandy videos they had on the internet that showed us actually how to play the game were kind of more than enough of a tutorial for us to really understand what was the basics of the game. True, true. And and honestly, this is one of those games that after one round, you're good. You know exactly what to do, then it just becomes a matter of, of, of mastery and understanding your economy. Right, yeah, yeah. And how to allocate those resources, which is all important in the Meeple games. Absolutely. My only, my only... Uh, thing that I think was off in the execution is, and this is just more my personal taste than anything, I wish the basic game was more designed around the idea of everybody's playing versus the board itself, which is considered a more advanced role. And I get it because there's a little bit more to keep track of, but that's the game I wish they'd sort of started us off with because I, I would much rather have played with you than against you. I mean, that being said, it's cool that they they have a lot of variety in the gameplay because you know we could have played a game where all three of us were humans and we were competing for resources because we're doing one of those, you know, wild bunch zombie apocalypse movies where, you know, we're all out for ourselves because <laughs> there's only enough stuff for one of us to live. So we're all fighting to be that one person. But yeah, I, I, I dig that notion where it's like zombies versus a zombie master or not zombies, but, uh, players versus a zombie master players versus the board itself, everybody competing versus the board itself and everybody competing with each other and a zombie master. And a solo game, which I, I know is your cup of tea. You love you the solo games. Yeah, no, and it's super fun as a solo yeah, game. Yeah, what are the rules changes for a solo game, just because you've done it? Uh, me... And I, I, I know the context now, because I actually played this game. Unlike everything since we moved to Portland, I miss playing games with you, Jonathan. 
I miss you too, buddy. We really got to get me back out there, or Gina, or Gina, to, to play some games, because Sophia really misses Eowyn. Yeah. They, Did you hear that, Gina? Sophia really misses Eowyn. <laughs> they were so sweet together. They were so sweet together. It would be awful of us to separate them for any length of time. The big part about the solo game is that there are some definite setup changes. And one of those setup changes is the number of survivor tokens that you get. And that's going to act as your default difficulty level. And that's going to range from zero to three. Oh, so like you, you get no extra lives or three extra lives. Exactly. The other thing that you're going to do is you're going to randomly draw a zombie card. And only that passive zombie ability at the top of the card is going to be used. We, it doesn't count uh, towards the, the horde rules, which are, are, are uh, something that we haven't gone into too much depth here mm-hmm. and then as far as the the humans go their rules are going to be just about the same there's no major changes but they basically introduce an ai for the zombies you you check the noise as revealed on the search card if it doesn't match you add a zombie to each of the two stores of the matching symbol which we talked about yep. if it does match then you get to add two zombies to each of the two stores that match that card that makes sense Beyond that, the player then draws a card from the search deck and places it face down by their player card. So basically, it automates some of the actions of the of the zombie player. Yeah, it makes sense. That's that's none of that is surprising. So essentially, the same game just gives you a you know an, an, another way to play it. Final thoughts about Tiny Epic Zombies, Robert? I think I said everything I need to say. My my quibbles are: I wish we would have played the the fully co op one because you always win, and you beat us, and I'm not shocked. And I hate you. you. I hate you so much. I love you too. Yeah, I want to come visit again. (laughs) How about you, Jonathan? What are your final thoughts? I think this is a really neat package. It's small. It's easy to get around. It's easy to travel with. Um, It doesn't take up a ton of table space. So you can actually, you know, take it with you as as a travel item and play with it. I think that the item meeples are super fun and give it the super, super, um, super thematic aspect to the physical components, which really kind of helps to, to, to sell the abstract, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It does. And ultimately, the, the big thing that I think this game has going for it is just the tons and tons of variety, because there's just so many different ways that you can play it. Yeah, re-racking it would change a lot of stuff. Yeah, because it's, it's, you're going to change your layout of the mall, you're going to change what stores are available because you're, you're going to flip some of them, uh, some of the cards over. That is what we totally should have done. We should have played it again. We should have flipped, just flipped everything over. <laughs> <laughs> and then we should have discarded all of the, the heroes we had and put them at the bottom of the deck and just doled out new ones and just re-racked and did it again. Yeah, and I think ultimately what's really going to make this game work is, is not only the tiny size and the tiny price point, but also just that, that sheer amount of change that you can do in in every time you go back to that box that's the thing i play i've played a lot of zombicide in my day it reminded me of zombicide in a lot of ways like there's a lot of the 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 zombie apocalypse board games they they kind of have a a vibe for lack of a better term and this definitely got it and you know is it like as deep as say zombicide or some of those games no no but that's not really supposed to be it's supposed to be the the tiny epic version of that you know what i mean it's the whole board's an abstraction you can kind of like see the dna of a lot of those games in it but it's refined and simplified and easy and light and not not light Uh, i don't don't know what the words i'm searching for are but yeah it's 
It's it's it's a very very streamlined abstract version of Zombicide or any of those games, and yeah, it's it's cool because of that. I I, I like um, it's not streamlined. I don't know. I don't know what word I'm looking for, but I, I like I like I like that level of abst- abstraction because sometimes as gamers, it's really easy for us to sort of run too hard with the whole notion that everything has to be a simulation of something, and this really boils it down to its component genre bits and it still yeah. functions it, it, it's clever in that it can add a thematic feel to what's distinctly an abstract uh you know action game yeah yeah i dig it and it, you know as you're as as the game was going along like i was sort of imagining the plot of the movie because the board game's an abstraction so sort of like putting your own thoughts into what is going on and you know what what part of the zombie movie this is like that was fun because you don't you don't have like those cool miniatures and stuff that you get in like zombicide or whatnot everything again is more abstract and so you know if if you're into that kind of thing you you can sort of like just fill in the bits with you know like when something bad happened you know it's like oh this is that part in the movie where you know the zombie just happened to be under that pile of rubble and just got me or you know you know just those moments and and you because of the level of abstraction in this game uh you kind of like jam those moments into the things that are happening in the board game and kind of make up your own sort of zombie movie in your head, which I, I actually was having quite a good time doing. Yeah, no, and that's, I think, the hallmark of, of what this game does best. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it does give you a story, you know? It gives you a story that you can talk about with, with other people. Yeah, and, like, why why we needed the army to come in while we were quarantining zombies and getting helicopter parts. I should have thought of that more. I'm going to have to think about that more. I wasn't really thinking about the objectives. I was just thinking about the tropey moments. But yeah, it all fits. (laughs) So that is Tiny Epic Zombies from Gameland. And of course, that was designed by Scott Alms, who we've talked about quite a bit on the show. And that is available at retail for $30. All right, Robert. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm impressed that my voice and your voice held out as long as they have. I I thought mine could make it, but I, I am impressed with yours. I gotta say. I, I've been sipping I'm on hurting. coffee this I'm whole... hurting. Make no mistake. Yeah. It is actually physically painful to speak now. Do you hear this? Do you hear the gravitas? This is this is like Timothy Dalton level of uh, of just angst and stuff. He's forcing out of his mouth and his body just for you, dear gamers. Just for you. What's that line from that Bond movie? He uh, He didn't agree with something that tried to eat him. <laughs> something he ate disagreed with him. Something he ate disagreed. No, with him. something that ate him. He disagreed something with something that ate that him. Because yeah. remember, they throw him to the That's sharks. That's right. Yes. Was that Thunderball? No, man. That's one of the Dalton movies. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Remember, he pisses off the he pisses off the drug cartel, no, 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 and no, so no. they he pisses kidnap off Felix Scar- Scaramanga. Oh wait, no, Scaramanga was a uh, Scaramanga is Roger that, Moore. That's that, uh, yeah, yeah. that man with the golden gun. Yeah. What is happening here? <laughs> You are all over the place. I've watched every Bond movie. When, when Netflix was only... Apparently they didn't make an impact. <laughs> Shut up. They all blur together. They all blur together. I can keep them apart. Well, good on you. I live in Portland. There's weed everywhere, man. I'm, I'm just saturated in THC. Like, I, I'm surprised I can remember my own name. That's fair. I'll allow that. <laughs> Sorry. I couldn't find anything called Esperanza La La Land. I have no idea where my phone picked that up from. That's funny. Well, that, of course, brings us to the end of another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Once again, as always, join us on all of our digital domains. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you're playing. And, Robert, that, of course, brings us to... Any final thoughts? Scaramanga! 
No, nah, no, nah, just nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm just now happily kind of nostalgically thinking about... Uh, now I can't even remember his name. Oh, my God. The city, man. The city. And it's, just, it's just like haze of weed. Leave me alone. Who? Go away. The, the, the guy who played, uh, the guy who played uh, Saruman in, in Lord of the Rings. We were just talking about him before we were recording. Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee. Yeah, Dracula. That guy. Just, dear God, you are a mess tonight. <laughs> We cook dinner, and, and again, the smell of dinner is wafting up here, and I'm so hungry. I just want to get it. Just, just, just play us out, Jonathan. I want to go eat. Well, that leaves us with, of course, only one last thing, Robert, and that is party on, Robert. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elithiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 